1: Imagine you're living in a foreign country, and suddenly you discover a local delicacy that just knocks your socks off. You eat it for breakfast. You eat it for lunch. You find yourself eating it just about every day. Next thing you know, you're back in the States and lightning strikes. You think to yourself, I love this food. I'm going to sell this, and it's going to take off. Everyone will love this food. Well, that's what this business is all about. Sharing food, sharing fun, and seeing what happens next. Then, before you know it, you've got the makings of a real brand on your hands. What will you do next? Well, you've got to listen to my guest today, Mr. Brian Goldberg, who, by the way, is a former Olympic caliber loser. You remember that sport luge from the recent Winter Games. It's that super fast sport where you lie back on a tiny sled with razor sharp runners and you ride this thing over 80 miles per hour down an icy track. Well, how he ended up in the restaurant business is a great story. So listen as Brian tells about his passion for a country, then a food, and now a real live restaurant operation with huge expansion potential. I'm pleased to bring you this episode sponsored by Cabbage. So you're in the restaurant business and you see opportunity all around. You know you can improve your operation. You know you can increase sales and get a big return on your investment. Only issue is, you need cash to invest, and you need it now. Next hurdle, you don't have time to put your financial statements together and wait for a committee to decide if and when you get your money. Well, no worries. Now there's Cabbage. Cabbage gives small businesses like yours access to a line of credit up to $250,000. You apply online, and you get an immediate decision. Cabbage is a line of credit, so you can request the exact amount you need. You never have to reapply for more money, and you only pay for the cash you use. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses in every industry, including lots of restaurants just like yours, and they have over $4 billion in funding. Cabbage is a rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company twice in a row, so you gotta check it out. If you need quick cash, go to cabbage.com slash restaurant rockstars. And just for listening to this podcast, you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify. Again, that's cabbage with a K dot com slash restaurant rockstars. Check it out today, qualify, and get your money fast. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. All cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank, a Utah Chartered Industrial Bank member, FDIC. Now, on to the episode. Welcome back everyone to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, engaging topics to help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. What a cool episode we have. I am talking to Mr. Brian Goldberg. He is a conceptualizer, an entrepreneur turned restaurateur, who is the founder of Mr. Bing, which is is a fast casual concept now in New York City specializing in Bing, which is a quintessential street food that is Chinese. So with that said, welcome to the show, Brian. How are you, man? Thanks, Roger. I'm doing well. Happy to be here. I'm really psyched that you're here, Brian. So let's talk about your backstory. Before Mr. Bing, had you had any restaurant or hospitality industry experience? Uh,
0: No. Basically, my background, uh, I mean, okay, so i had started Mr. Bing in Hong Kong and then I brought it back to New York a couple of years ago. So it's been about six years since I started Mr. Bing in its initial form. Uh, but prior to that, uh, no, I was in finance for about nine or 10 years, was my main career. Um, I was a journalist uh, for a couple of TV stations, producer and a reporter for uh, a few TV programs. Um, and before that, a semi professional athlete uh, for a few years up until the Olympics. Um, you know, so this is kind of my fourth fourth career. The only food experience I had was uh, maybe being I was a waiter in college for a little bit, uh, in Boston. Uh, and I had a couple of odd jobs here and there pushing a, an ice cream cart around in San Francisco. Okay, well, that sort of counts thanks okay. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit.
1: You have a really yeah. interesting background and you have done lots of different things. And you were telling me just before we started the recording that you were also. Um, an Olympic loser, right, which is a really, really cool thing. I mean, we're at a winter sports resort here. We just uh, completed the Winter Olympics, which were absolutely, you know, spectacular. Obviously, we were watching luge and skeleton and all those cool sports. How'd you get into that? Before we get into the restaurant well, story, I want to know about luge. Yeah, well,
0: the luge stuff, in a way, it led to the restaurant stuff eventually, which I'll explain later, but uh, so I grew up in New York, in the suburbs of New York City, and um, I started skiing maybe when I was around 12. Uh, I was a very competitive athlete in general. Swimming was my main sport. My mom was a lifeguard and a mm-hmm. swim instructor. So I, I swam competitively, played baseball competitively, uh, played golf in high school and college, NCAA Division III. Uh, but in high school, uh, when I was up skiing in Lake Placid for like, uh, just a little winter vacation, uh, the, I saw the lose track there. And I'd always seen luge on TV and thought it was like really cool, super fast, and I just always thought it would be something I would be relatively good at, given kind of how luge works with balance and sort of upper body strength from yes. the start. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, I took a, a run uh, as a tourist. You could pay like thirty bucks and take a run down the track in like one of the tourist sleds, and I just loved it. And there was a TV commercial um, during the '94 the Lahammer Olympics. Uh, from the USA Luge program and it said if you want to try out for the USA Luge team for the development program, call 1-800-USA-LUGE uh, and I called the number and I signed up for this tryout um, in the summertime down in uh, near New York City it was like a Luge sled on wheels kind of thing and they were they were going around with the US Olympic uh, Luge like national team coaches and athletes and trying to recruit people that had some kind of Innate skill or a feel for luge. Uh, I did all right, uh, but they, uh, they you know, I was 17 years old at the time and they were looking for 10 year olds, like really young kids, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, to, to develop at a younger age. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't get in at that time. Uh, so I I'd had a scholarship to college like sitting in front of me and I took that and I went to college for four years in Boston, but afterwards, you know, I majored in Chinese in college, and, and um, so they gave me the. I called the luge program back after college. This was like nineteen ninety nine, ninety eight, ninety nine, and, and I said, "Hey, it's me. Remember me?" Yes. <laughs> and they did. You know, there's not a lot of people in the luge world, so um, and they offered me the chance to go to Japan uh, for part of this international luge federation uh, development program, where they were trying to get athletes from. Um, non-traditional luge countries to do luge basically the international luge federation and any sport in the olympics for that matter if you don't have enough countries participating in a particular sport around the world uh then you that sport risks getting sort of kicked out of the olympics because it's not international enough uh so because i have like a bit of a Jewish Jewish background or ancestry I was able to get dual citizenship uh in Israel yes uh even though I don't speak Hebrew at all and not <laughs> religious at all uh but it was like a loophole basically to sort of you know you know uh go to basically become a get onto the World Cup circuit and hopefully qualify for the Olympics one day awesome. and that's basically what happened uh you know it took a long time and a lot of training and a lot uh, you know, um, uh, was sponsored by the International Luge Federation. I obtained dual rally citizenship, specifically for this, um, and got on the junior world cup circuit and the senior world cup circuit, and was for three years pretty much a full-time luge athlete. Um, and my coach was a two-time uh, gold medalist from Austria. Uh, I trained with them and a lot of other Germans and Austrians and. French and Norwegians and, you know, everybody. Yes, and, fantastic. Uh, I love yeah, it. Yeah, for three years. Um, what a ride, Brian, what was, a ride. Yeah, it was just a whole it was a whole thing that I did from the ages, really, of, like, from, from ninety ninety nine to 2002 up to the Salt Lake Olympics in 2002 when I, I qualified for those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, unfortunately, Israel's Olympic Federation policy was that even if you qualified for the Olympics – um if you're not a medal contender, if you're not like top five or top ten in the world, you don't go to the Olympics. They, Israel doesn't really abide by the, you know, Bernard Coopertine's like philosophy of like to participate in the Olympics is wonderful. It's yes, more about if absolutely you have to win or don't go. So I it, see. it was a really mm-hmm. sad ending to a really long, hard journey. Yes. Um inspirational you know, like, though. It was. I mean, it changed my life. I was in the fittest shape I'd ever been and, you know, raced with, you know, world-class athletes and trained with them for three years. And uh, it opened up a lot of doors for me career-wise afterwards. Um, and, you know, it was it, – it, I mean, Israel had a long, tough history in the Olympics. You know, Munich, 72, what happened. And uh, this was right after the 9-11 World Trade Center attack, too. Some terrorism was super high, so yeah. it was just – just wasn't in the cards, you know. But it uh, it was an amazing experience, changed my life, made some of my best friends during those years, and you know, it was it was it's still a part of my life, you know, in, in some ways. So, yeah.
1: Well, I'm really glad you shared that story. Before we talk about the entrepreneurial journey that you were on, why don't you tell us exactly what is Bing and why is it so popular in China and now here in New York? Yeah,
0: happy happy to. So uh, when I majored in Chinese in college 20 years ago uh, at Brandeis in Boston, I had to study abroad for six months to, to become fluent in Mandarin and have a full-on language experience. Uh, and every morning before school, uh, I'd wake up, and I'd be hungry for breakfast before class started. And outside our dorm room uh, would be a little lady on the street on the back of a bicycle cart making these kind of uh, – these crepes, these breakfast crepes, basically. Yes, yes. Um, And that's called jianbing or bing for short. It's a, yeah. basically a grilled crepe or a grilled pancake, savory. It's a savory Chinese crepe that's basically folded into a sandwich. And it's it's a mung bean flour, rice flour, wheat flour crepe with herbs and spices, uh, scrambled egg on like spread around the surface, uh, black and white sesame seeds, uh, scallions. Um, then you flip it over and you put uh, like a sweet hoisin sauce, uh, crispy chili paste, uh, cilantro, crunchy wontons. And then you, if you want, you can fill it with. Uh, extra proteins like uh, uh, Peking duck, uh, barbecue pork, drunken chicken, or kimchi. Uh, you can get really creative with it, put brisket inside, you put all sorts of stuff, or you can just leave it the way it is and just fold it up, and it's a, the, the classic vegetarian version is kind of the classic, most common way of serving it without the, without the meats inside. Um, it's a real common, common person's breakfast in Beijing and in northern China in general, Shanghai as well. Um, it's kind of what they eat on the way to work it fills you up for half the day or all, all day in some cases um, and we just loved it it was like our favorite food that we would, we would eat every day in china um, and when i came back you know we missed it so much we always just kind of jokingly talk about starting a business selling things in new york or in boston I and mean, we you know it's just an idea uh, but then a couple of years later in graduate school, I was at Columbia University doing my master's degree in uh, Asian Studies, and I took some classes at the at the business school. And we had to write a plan for a business just as an academic project about how to write a business plan. Uh, and I wrote it for, it was called Goldberg's Chinese Crepes at the time. Now it's, now it's you no know, it's Mr. Bing. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't have time to actually start it or money at the time to start it when I was, you know, 22 years old, 24 years old. Um, so I, uh, I shelved it, and I had a you know a couple of careers, you know, in sports and journalism, and um, and then finance. Uh, and then I started it six years ago uh, in Hong Kong as like a little passion project while working as an investment banker. Um, and it took off. We opened a little tiny little store there. It was very popular with people from mainland China who were working in Hong Kong, and with uh, expats, Americans, British people, and Aussies. Um, and I, I quit my finance job and made it a full-time thing. Uh, opened two stores, uh, uh, got a little ahead of myself, uh, made some mistakes, had no restaurant experience, had had a great brand, uh, great food and recipe and a great style of what we were doing, but we made some mistakes with real estate and some partnerships with people and, uh, we ended up closing it in Hong Kong after two years, years, um, and, mm -hmm, uh, and I uh, I sold my apartment in Hong Kong. I, I fortunately invested in some in some property uh, in Hong Kong uh, that that did pretty well, and that gave me some freedom to to uh, you know to take some time off and uh, move back to New York after I was uh, 13 years away. You know, I lived in Hong Kong, Singapore, Taiwan, and China and Japan a bit. I'm an only child. Uh, my parents are getting older. You know, they retired from New York down to sure. Florida. And uh, that it was just time to sort of come home and reevaluate what to do. And I was, at that time, I was uh, 38 years old and uh, not married yet. And, um, you know, came back to New York. I wasn't sure what I was going to do, whether to go back into finance or to maybe even or to restart Mr. Bing again. And I decided to restart Mr. Bing uh, because uh, well, it my really my passion. I, I mean, I really, it was like my mission to bring this food, this you know, Bing's from China to America and make it a thing you know, make it a real trend, make it something that Americans had never had before, but then gradually learn what it is, and it becomes part of the lexicon, yeah. or part of the um, fabric of American food culture, uh, you know, like a new Chinese food, a new authentic old Chinese food that had never been here, and there's a whole history in terms of why this food never came here from China before, even though it's been around hundreds of years. It's, it's, from, it's from northern China, and. American Chinese food is largely inf- influenced from southern, southern China, and there's a lot of stories I can tell you about that. But, um, you know, I decided to reopen Mr. Bing here because I found the whole food hall trend here happening, and like Epicurean food halls, like the newer modern version of food courts instead of Panda Express and McDonald's and, you know, and uh, Papa John's. They were building food halls in New York and Boston that had, like Samuel Hall, for example, at yes, Chelsea Market. Of course, um, into those. That were starting to curate really cool food concepts that didn't require a lot of space, like little 10 by 10 boxes or 15 by 15 little kiosks that specialized in maybe one or two menu items. And that's kind of high volume, and it's got a, you know, a cool little vibe, but you don't have to spend a lot of money to open a restaurant with like 50 or 100 seats and all that stuff. Uh, so, you know, Jen really really... Um, uh lends itself to that kind of environment like kiosks or bicycle carts or just like very small small format thing and we make the food especially in front of the customer. It's all about the show. It's all about the art. It's all about the performance of our staff making this thing in front of you in two minutes or three minutes and it's custom made to how you like it. Um and uh you know we got that opportunity to start doing these not to go into the food hall right away, but the company one of the companies here called Urban Space which does a lot of these street food festivals, outdoor markets, and food halls. Uh, they, you know, I met. They loved our concept. They loved what I did. They loved my story. And basically, within a, a week of talking to them, they offered us a pop up on this uh, for the Christmas market uh, two and a half years ago in, in Times Square. Um, you know, and just they like, pulled it all together, built a little kiosk, brought a couple of crate machines, got our ingredients in Chinatown. Found a couple of uh, friends and friends to help help do it, and you know, opened a bank account, incorporated a, an LLC, and you know, we were open for business, like just like that, and with very very little investment, um, much less than what it cost to open in Hong Kong, and uh, you know, we started rolling from there. We started doing pop-ups. We sort of did the circuit around New York, all the outdoor like sort of festivals for yes, about a year and a half. Awesome like yeah, Madison Square Eats, Broadway Bites, the Bryant Park Winter Village. There's like a ton of like street festivals here. And that's um, brand
1: building, too. I mean, you're getting the product yeah. and the awareness and the name out in front of the public. They're seeing it here. They're seeing it there. And then suddenly when you have a physical location, you've got awareness and recognition. Yeah. And people love the food. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great, great story. That is so cool. It sounds to me that... You know, Bing is to the Chinese as, you know, pizza is to Italy. And it's a traditional thing. You mentioned it's hundreds of years old and it's in those old traditions. And now pizza obviously is huge in America. And so could Mr. Bing be, right? Is that part of the plan for the future? I mean, do you see expansion nationwide? Uh, maybe we're jumping into this prematurely, but that's kind of what I see going on here.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a big thing in northern China. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, people in Hong Kong and southern China had like never heard of it until a few years ago. You know, so it's a very regional thing. It's, it's like, like a too. Chinese version of a dosa. If you know what dosas are from India, there's that. Or it's in, in a way you can call it a Chinese burrito or a Chinese pizza. Sure. You know, the way. Uh, pizza has definitely. Many types like grandma pizza, Sicilian pizza, thin crust, thick, you know, deep dish, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. There's different types of things, different right. types of gen So Shanghai version versus Beijing version uh, versus Shandong version. There's different versions of it, different types of flowers they use, different ways they do it, but it's all the similar category. Uh, I do believe it can become a big thing here. I mean, 20 years ago, people didn't really know what sushi was or burritos or um, bubble tea. Those are all like really ethnic foods that have kind of gone mainstream now. Definitely right? true. especially yeah. in urban cities, right? Um, so I believe strongly that things can become a category, a subcategory of Chinese food uh, that can become very, very mainstream in America, um, especially in all the urban centers for sure. Uh, and uh, it's a great breakfast. Traditionally, breakfast food actually in China it's mostly a breakfast food. Uh, we do it mostly as a lunch and dinner, uh, but it does. It is like a basically a, they call it the Chinese egg McMao like <laughs> is a nickname for the for the, for the bings. Um, I can
1: see that, but it's more versatile here. It's like people can eat these at all times of the day, and it just becomes a favorite food, right? It's a go-to, it's a quick serve, it's a fast eat, yeah. it's a satisfying food, I mean all these things. You mentioned there's lots of different varieties of Bing. Is there one particular variety that you specialize in? I mean is it Shanghai Bing that you're offering? What is it? We, we're
0: doing the the the, the, the Beijing, Beijing. I'm Beijing. sorry. Thank you. Beijing, yeah, gotcha. We're, we're the Beijing version. If you, if, the best thing to do is
1: look
0: at the videos on our website. Or if you go, yeah. Look, I mean go to our homepage and you'll see… You'll see the video um, and in high speed, like in ten seconds. I'm going to put that uh, on hey, the
1: on the show notes. We're going to definitely put your website and all your contact info. But that's great. If you got videos, I want to see this. I want the audience to see it as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, you want me to? I can. If my laptop's in the other room. I could open it and show you simultaneously the video. That, but my laptop's not next to me right I, No worries. I, don't no, know I
1: gonna, you know, we'll let the audience go to it at their convenience. But we're definitely going to put that information in. Okay. Yeah, so, so the
0: Beijing version is is the egg on the on the outside, yeah, and the Shanghai version the egg ends up on the inside. Okay, um, and the batter that crepe becomes a little ends up a little crispier in the Shanghai version. On the Beijing version, it's a slightly softer crepe with a crunchy on the inside. So there's little little differences like that, textural differences, what's on the inside, what's on the outside. It's it's that it's those are like the subtle differences between and the different types of sauces you can put inside. Um, things like that. Those are the differences. Yeah.
1: Sounds delicious, and it's dinner time here in Sun Valley, so you're making me hungry. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So in the urban space, you know, you won a Vendy Award. Like you had this really hot concept right off the bat. You were Rookie of the Year, and you won this thing called the Vendy, right?
0: Yeah. So there's a there's a thing that honors all the street food vendors here in New York. Um, whether they're a food truck or a cart or stands, things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so yeah, so we won that award in 2016 for the best new street food concept of the of the city. The rookie here cool. for the for the Bendy Award. Great.
1: Mm-hmm. Now you still have pop up locations around uh, Manhattan, and then you have uh, a bricks and mortar location. Is that one in the East Village? And there's more planned for the future. Tell us about your locations.
0: Yeah, so after doing the like one year of pop ups, uh, Urban Space finally gave us our first permanent location as a kiosk. Yeah, uh, in the in the food hall in their first in their mm-hmm. flagship uh, permanent food hall in Midtown, right next to Grand Central Station. Beautiful uh, location. Forty like fifth and Vanderbilt. It is it's nonstop traffic, Georgia. right? It's crazy. I it's, can only imagine. Like, I don't know, thirty thousand people a day that walk past that food hall through or past that food hall. You it's, must have like fifteen pretty, shifts
1: of staff, right? <laughs> That's crazy we do, we
0: have 3 two, 2 or 3 shifts depending yeah, Um yeah, we're, still, that's awesome. we're just starting to grow the breakfast business it's uh-huh. mostly a lunch and dinner thing still um but yeah that's our first one that opened in January 2017 so mm-hmm. about a year and 3 months ago uh and then we towards the end of last year we opened a small brick and mortar uh in East Village which has like 15 bar stool seats and it does the bings and it does uh, handmade dumplings and Chinese side salads and uh, mochi ice cream uh, and drinks like Chinese style drinks, Chinese herbal teas. Uh, and we have um, beer as well, beer and wine license. So we do Chinese Great. beers, Great. Chinese types of beers. Uh, so that's the thing. You know, bings, yeah. dumplings, salads, mochi ice cream. And we're launching bubble tea. We are launching bubble tea uh, uh, next week. And um that's a Taiwanese thing, technically, not uh-huh. a mainland Chinese Beijing thing, yeah, but goes together very well. Yeah, together. yeah, I see that. yeah, yeah, similar demographic. Uh, I still love bubble tea. Uh, but yeah, so the Eastfield store, uh, the Vanderbilt Food Hall kiosk, uh, we launched a cart, which is almost like a truck. It's like a ten by 5, uh, 10 by five cart um, that is permanently parked. Um, in Flatiron, in front of between Eataly and Shake Shack on 24th Street and Fifth Avenue and Broadway, where all three of those streets intersect. Uh, that's yeah, that is where Eataly is. Mario Batali's Eataly and the, the original uh, Danny Meyer Shake Shack in Madison Square Park. So we had a cart there mm-hmm. uh, outside on the street, um, and we have a bicycle rickshaw cart that we use for catering, which we're trying to find a permanent home for. We use it for pop, we use it for catering events and pop-ups now. It's really cool. You can see that on our website too. Uh, it's got an old vintage bicycle cart attached to the front of it, so it makes it look a bit like an old Chinese cart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you ride it the to the event
1: or do you transport it?
0: <laughs> no, it's, we, we transport it. We, okay. We, we transport <laughs> yeah, I'm it. just kidding. Like make, no, it can be done, not yeah. this version, but yeah. you can do a real bicycle version. Like, awesome. a, like an Italian gelato cart. Yeah, totally authentic, and it's
1: obviously logoed up, Mr. Bing and all that sort of thing.
0: It is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, We open in Times Square on Thursday. We'll check that out, too. It's a shipping container kiosk permanently placed smack in the middle of Times Square in the pedestrian walkway next to the TKTS steps where people buy their Broadway tickets. Nice. Uh, So that's cool. And then the fifth one opens in Chelsea, a small brick-and-mortar where our office and commissary is. That opens next in May. Mm -hmm. So that'll be five. Plus, the catering business.
1: Fantastic. So, did the concept fly right from the start? Did you have to explain exactly what John Bing was to New Yorkers and tourists? I mean, how was the whole introduction when you first started? Like, how did that yeah. go? Yeah,
0: it's, man, it's, uh, we have to explain it to people every day, so Okay. <laughs> more and more people are learning what it is in New York. But most people still just don't still don't know what it is. Yeah, um, a lot of people, a lot of, they have a lot of tourists in New York, so they've never <laughs> seen it. Um, so it is a constant education process. I mean, it did fly right off the bat in the beginning. People loved it. Uh, we kept moving up the ranks in terms of the pop up like, like rankings in terms of where you get to go. But nice. um, it is very much an education. You constantly have to have that video playing, showing how it's made, like the, yeah. hyper, the high speed 12nd time lapse video. That's very cool. We oh. We always have a screen on at every location that we do, every event that we do, showing how it's made. That's like
1: genius. Seconds. That'll draw people in that alone. Just, wow, what's going on here? Oh, I can see it. I can smell it. It's a visual, physical yeah. thing. It's the aromas. It's all that. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. I love you it. you got to have that. Yeah. you have. To, even though it's being made freshly in front of you, it takes a few minutes. And when people are walking by, they don't have patience. So they, in five seconds, they want to see what it is. And then they Ooh. stay. They see it. They're like, and then their mouth waters. And then they... Yeah. You know they have it, and we always tell the little story, the founder story, which is basically in one sentence. Uh, our founder Brian from New York used to live in China, studied Chinese, ate things every day, loved it so much, brought it back to New York. Here we are. You know, That's we have to really tell that story, and then we show a big black and white photo of the old street cart that I used yeah. to go to yeah. in Beijing. Beautiful. So that like makes them humble what beginnings. It, what it like. So basically, it, Very yeah. Cool. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Keep it simple. But that is, that's, I mean, that is simple and it's powerful at the same time. That's awesome. Let me ask you, Brian, what are the biggest challenges that you're facing as a restaurant operator today? Or, you know, even with a fast casual concept and you've got little locations all over the place, you're opening new locations. I mean, in this business, a very challenging business, thousands of details, what do you find to be your biggest challenges?
0: Uh, How to maintain, how to achieve and maintain profitability right you know um you can have a great brand great product rave customer reviews you know and there's always something that makes it hard to make it to, to make a buck you Absolutely. know what i mean whether it's, i do whether it's whether it's the rent being too high or uh vendors you know overcharging you for this that and the other thing Labor costs skyrocketing. You know, minimum wage now in New York City is $13 an hour and it's going up to $15 an hour in January. Sure. Um, You know, food costs, right? Yes. Wastage. uh, You know, choosing the right spot. You know, just it's such a location dependent business. You know, real estate, if you're in the food business, retail food business, you are de facto in the real estate business. You got to know real estate. You got to understand how that works. You know, Fifty feet difference, being on the on the same block but one corner versus the other corner, can make or break your business depending on where the foot traffic is or depending on just different dynamics. So this it's it's always about watching the bottom your top line and your bottom line is it, you know and and that that means a lot of things. It's recruiting good staff, finding good people that are that make good brand ambassadors, that make good cashiers that can simultaneously explain to people what the product is and be enthusiastic, even you know, they're not the owners of the business, they work for us, but you if you want to find people that care about the product and that are excited to teach people what bings are and make them well, right? It's a lot to ask. It's like you're asking for performers who are also chefs.
1: Right? You speak so in my language. This is exactly yeah. this is these are my beliefs and this is what I practiced for twenty plus years. I totally get it. I love it. You know, yeah, that is it, that is absolutely that sums it up what it's like to do business in hospitality and restaurants, especially in an expensive city like New York. However, you did say that it was even more challenging, perhaps more expensive in Hong Kong.
0: Yeah. In it rent in Hong Kong is crazy. I mean it's equal or in some spots higher than Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, and what makes it hard is that you can't it's very hard to sell food in Hong Kong for reasonable prices there's so much cheap street food and cheap chinese food there that the locals there just have come to expect super cheap pricing on food and but if you're making something that's high quality and handmade and requires a lot of labor and performance they just they're still not willing to pay the price that it costs to make that so it's hard to be profitable and then the landlords the leases that you get in Hong Kong are typically, believe it or not, only two years long. Mm. And then if you're doing well, they jack the rent up because they see you're doing well. If you're not doing well, they don't care. They just kick you out and they find another tenant to take over. It's, it's, Catch-22. It's yeah. It's a real tough situation there. In New York, you're typically dealing with 10-year leases, right? Minimum five. You know, So it's, if you want to invest in building your store, at least you have some runway. You have some time mm-hmm. to build the business up. and make a profit and recoup the investment and then hopefully make a profit on top of just the best initial investment, you know, ROI on a typical restaurant. If you're, if you're lucky is three years, right. You know, so it's, uh, it's, it was really challenging there, and Hong Kong was, is a Cantonese-speaking southern Chinese culture where the food tastes are very different than northern China, and we sell northern Chinese food, which is a bit heavier, yes. spicy, mm-hmm. you know, like comfort food. Southern Chinese like light food, they like noodles, they like seafood, they don't like spicy, uh, and they don't. And there's a distrust between Hong Kong and Beijing, right? It's, you know, political history, very different, uh, whereas... You know, expats, Americans, Brits, Aussies—they love this this food from Beijing. When we opened in New York, it was just right off the bat, super exciting, super popular, super unique. Um, so it's been—it's just a totally different reception to what we do here. Um, and people are willing to play, willing to pay prices that are that that are, that are normal, reasonable. I mean, you'll pay 10, 12, 15 bucks for a good burger, a good pizza, a good burrito, a good whatever, and that—that's what we charge, right? And it's this and that allows us to run a business where it's so hard to make a profit, but at least you have a chance, you know? Um, And, uh, you know, so So it's it's a a different ballgame here.
1: So there's a large Chinese population in New York City. I mean, we've got Chinatown, and I, I don't know if those people are from different regions of China, but how has your Bing been accepted by the Chinese that have patronized Mr. Bing? Hey, seventy percent,
0: seventy percent love it. Thirty percent complain that it's either that it's too expensive because it's more expensive than it is in China. Oh. which of course it is. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. Welcome to America. Ti- right, exactly. <laughs> you know, or or that it's uh, or that it's not the k- kind of thing that they had in their hometown. It's a different style, and therefore they're upset. You know, but seventy percent love it. They they're just so happy that they can finally get the thing in America. They can finally get Gen Bing in New York City. Right. Uh, and they think our quality is good, they think our staff are good, they like our branding, they like the story, they find it fascinating that it's an American guy that actually started it and not a guy from, from China. Um, uh, you know, they, for the most part, they, they love it, you know, but you do have your haters, you have your haters, you know, if you go on Yelp and read our reviews, yeah. you know, <laughs> four stars out of five, or three and a half out of five, the haters are always complaining about the price. For the most part, or that it's not made the way that they had it when they grew up in their particular hometown, that it's a little bit different, and therefore they just they, they they go crazy, you know, they're upset, you know. So you can't make everyone happy, but for the most part, you know, because our mission statement with two, is a two-part mission statement. Number one is to introduce Americans to what things are, right? Our second mission statement is to help Chinese people in America return to their childhood through feelings of nostalgic food. I love right, it. That they used Great. to eat growing up. Yeah, yeah. You know. So that's our two pronged mission statement. But you know, when you're in America, it's like seventy percent Americans eating it, maybe thirty percent non-Americans, especially in New York, where you have a ton of tourists and immigrants and things. So, uh-huh. you know, I am very excited to uh, grow Mr. Bing eventually out of New York to where you're dealing with more the typical American city or the typical American state. That's that's more representative of the larger of the larger American uh, demographic. Mm-hmm. New York City, Manhattan's like a, as you know, it's like a little bubble, right? It's different, it's just different, you know, uh, than the rest of the country. So uh, it resonates well here, but you know, we don't want to go too crazy, building like crazy here. We're, you know, we recently have a partnership with some investors from California who see the potential for Mr. Bain to become a, you know, either a regional or a nationwide concept um and they're very keen to see how it works in the in the in the suburbs and yeah. in, in second tier and third tier cities like Philadelphia or Indianapolis or uh mm-hmm. you know or or San Francisco or uh you know uh Salt Lake City Dallas Chicago you know Boston you know other places.
1: Well, Boston again has a, a Chinese population as well, and I spent lots of time in Boston and I see that being a logical step, not so far from New York, you could kind of get your feet wet there before going to maybe San Francisco, and then like you said, the second tier markets. I see tremendous potential for this.
0: Yeah, it's, I think people are looking for something different, they're looking for something new. Yeah. Uh, you can be anywhere in America or anywhere in the world for that matter now. And you'll see on your Instagram feed all sorts of crazy cool food from everywhere. So food ideas are spreading a lot faster than ever before. And acceptance of new things uh, is happening a lot faster than ever before.
1: And I think uh, Bing right? is a powerful name. It's simple. It's quick. It's short. Everybody gets it. I mean, it's easily branded, right? I think you got a lot
0: going for you. Well, that's why we did So we called him Mr. Bing instead of Goldberg's Chinese Bing, yeah, Bing is this character here. Bing means crepe in Chinese. Okay. You know, and you yeah. go to our back of our back of our t shirt, and that's that's the character. That's so a beautiful character, around.
1: by the way. Totally.
0: Yeah, so Those are yeah. rad
1: t shirts. Do you you obviously sell logo merchandise as well as you should?
0: Yeah, mrbing.com, Mr. Bing.com. Mr-bing.com. You'll find us. We have a store there. Our t shirts are for sale in the in the, this charcoal gray with the orange, and we have a royal a royal blue color one as well, which pops. Looks kind of like the New York Mets colors, blue and orange. That makes sense. Um, and the hats as well. Nice. Uh, sell gift cards. Um, so, uh, yeah, very limited selection. But People like the T-shirts. They're super soft. They're that Bella Canvas like or Next Level sort of brand. That's super soft, stretchy stuff people like. So, you know, yeah, it's, it, we sell them. <laughs> So it's a very
1: unique product, a very unique food. Is there any similar competition for Bing at this point? That is another traditional Chinese food that's sort of like it, but it isn't exactly John Bing. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, well, there are some other Bing concepts popping up. There's yeah. uh, uh, so a couple of others in New York that have recently started in Brooklyn uh, and downtown. You, you can get it in Flushing, Queens, for actually quite quite a few years already. They've been selling it in the food court of like the really local Chinese like shopping malls out there. Mm-hmm. Um, There's someone that was, there's a, in Portland, Oregon, you can get it, uh, a place called Bing Me, B-I-N-G-M-I. I've met them before. I flew out to Portland to see what they were doing a few years ago. Uh, I think they have two trucks now, uh, one in downtown and one at at Portland State University, I believe. Um, Someone that's, I think, has a pop-up in San Francisco, that might become a permanent place called Tai Chi Tianbing. Uh In LA, there was someone with a food truck called Buddha Bing. I mm-hmm. flew out there and I met them too. I don't think they're still in business. Um, London has has one called Mei Mei Street Cart. She she used to teach English in China and she she brought it back to London. She does like the weekend festival food markets in London. Um, Australia has a concept that has like 20 locations in all the Westfield shopping mall food courts around like Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Sydney, Uh called Bing Boy. Uh, So it's happening. So it's a movement. Yeah. It it is. is. We're kind of the first ones to do it here in New York, like in a real strong branded way with a a story and, you know, strong marketing and media the way we do it. Um, But it's it's a trend. It's a trend, you know. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's a, there's it's happening. There's different types of bings. Most people are doing the gen bing, but then there's there's because bing means crepe or pancake in Chinese, right? So yeah. there's scallion pancakes, which people get confused, scallion pancakes are from Taiwan. Those are the thicker, greasier fried ones. Yeah. Don't don't get confused. That's totally different. That's more like a little appetizer, not a meal. Um. Uh. There's twin bing. There's another guy here doing chunbing, which is like the spring crepes. Those are also different. Uh, so there's different types of bings, right? We do jenbing, which is the, this this called grilled crepes. That's the Goldberg part.
1: Yeah, I like the grilled yeah. part. I'm not a big fried food fan, but grilled works for me. So I like that.
0: It is healthy, Yeah, the crepe is thin. It's made of you know the mung bean flour is actually very high in protein. Uh-huh. Uh, people don't people don't realize that. Uh, it's a very common grain that grows in northern China and in Korea, which borders northern China. So that's why a lot of things up there are made with mung bean. Um, uh, yeah, I mean it can be made. I I like mine double. I like I make mine high protein, low carb, meaning. I make my bing with half the amount of batter as usual. So I use like two or three ounces of the batter instead of five, mm-hmm. uh, so the crepe is smaller, but then I use two eggs. I scramble two eggs across the top of it so the eggs the egg flows and spreads out beyond the circumference of the crepe itself. So the crepe almost becomes made of almost fully of egg. Right. Which right. is very very proteiny. Um, so that's my like and then I you know, I'll do everything else normal. So it's it's a high protein, low carb version. Uh, eventually we'll be able to introduce different batter types, so in China they have like purple rice flour, uh, so you can use purple rice flour to make it and the crepe ends up becoming purple, which is really cool and very healthy too. Um, there's millet, there's buckwheat, there's all these different types of flour combos that you, can, that you can introduce. Once people start to learn what bings are and it becomes a little more mainstream, then you can be then you can offer those options, right? Right now we keep it simple. We just do the one most common, the the mung bean flour, the green bean flour right. version. Yeah, and that's you, your reason. You don't want Yeah, you don't want to confuse people, right? They're just trying to learn what things are in the yeah. first place. If you have if you do if, in Hong Kong, when we first did it, we were like, oh, step one, step two, step three. Choose your flour base. Do you want the mung bean, do you want the purple rice, or do you want the millet flour? And then step two, choose your choose your sauces, choose your fillings, choose your right, topping. Right. And everyone was like, huh?
1: Make your own thing. Yeah.
0: Make your own thing." And we thought that was like the Chipotle style, right? That, right. The, yes. You know, that whole put your – but it didn't work. It just didn't work because mm. people didn't even know what it is. They're like, I don't know what to order. What's good? Just tell me. So then we're like, aha, uh-huh, right. So then that's what we do. The menu has like four things on it or six things on it. It's the classic vegetarian. It's the Peking duck. It's the drunken chicken. It's the barbecue pork or it's the kimchi. That's it.
1: Oh, so What's they're, like they're all priced want? differently. It's not – you get your base <laughs> bing and then if you want to add the pork to it, it's this. But it's like specialty bing. You can get this bing, this bing, this bing, or that bing.
0: Yeah, choose that's simple. Okay, that's, that's it. Cool. Point to the picture and choose which one you like. And if you want to customize it, you can. Yeah, like let's say you want your baking duck thing with two eggs instead of one, or you you don't like cilantro, so you don't want a duck thing but no cilantro. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Of cool. course, you can customize it. But we make it simple for most people. Point to the picture and choose what you want. We we craft it in a way that we we, we know it's good. This each of them are good. We're you know we're helping you make your decision. And you don't want people befuddled and bemuddled and like confused at the cash register what to order. Yeah. You, you you really don't want to try to make it clear and simple for people, especially a new great. food they've never had before. This yeah. is great,
1: awesome, <laughs> really, really exciting concept, Brian. It's been awesome. Um, how can our audience find you and connect with you and all that sort of thing? Why don't you tell me what's your website?
0: So where I. I Mr-Bing.com, M-R-B-I-N-G.com. Okay. Yep, and Instagram, uh, we're at, uh, at MrBingNYC, so at M-R-B-I-N-G-N-Y-C. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, uh, and our email is uh, just info at MrBing.com, I-N-F-O at M-R-B-I-N-G.com. Uh, yeah, our website has all that contact information in our you know in there. You can you know, submit requests or questions about anything. Um, yeah, and you can our press page is on there. There was a huge Thrillist video that came out about us just yesterday. Uh, if you follow Thrillist, they did a really good story on us. We've been on the Today Show. That's awesome. Fox,
1: that's you know, excellent. Seeing, oh my god! I mean, that's that yeah. is like priceless press right there, isn't it? Yeah,
0: Hoda and uh, uh, Savannah Guthrie and Carson yeah. Daly were two weeks ago on air. That is,
1: time. oh, I'm sorry. I, I watch the Today Show almost every day. I must have missed that. I'm so sorry. That is, I wish I had seen that episode. That's okay.
0: You can go on our, our website. You'll find it the I'm going to check okay. it out. I'm absolutely going to go back
1: there. I'm fascinated with this whole thing. Your story is fascinating. The concept and how it came to be and. I mean, it sounds like you're having a ton of fun doing this too. It's not just a business; it's a passion, and it's fun, and it's cool,
0: right? Yeah, it is. I really enjoy what I'm what I'm doing. I, I feel like I found my thing, you know. Oh, like you my, have my, for sure. My, my, my I want to see life, this you know? nationwide. You got to keep <laughs> this
1: rocking and rolling, you know. That's what this business is all about. It's about inspiration and you know execution and having an idea and having a dream and just following it all the way and you're you're well on your way. But this is an awesome episode and I'm really pleased that you were a guest today, Brian. Anything else you want to share that we missed?
0: Uh, no, just love to have a nice little Mr. Bing little pop up little uh, kiosk at the ski resort, like you know, yeah, like right. next to the lift. And while you're waiting, you get a little hot hot Bing you know yeah before you go up the slopes that's i'd love it's like my little dream of mine
1: someday hey when we first got on <laughs> the phone you showed me some really cool like memorabilia from china like you not only studied chinese in college you're fluent in mandarin but it became sort of a second culture for you and now your place is like filled with all these cool items that right that you wouldn't see every day
0: want to show us any of those yeah yeah sure take a quick little Quick little walk around the pad here. I found it really um, interesting.
1: I think the audience will too. What are some of the cool? Yeah, pieces? sure.
0: Well, uh, what do we got here? Let me see if I can turn the uh, turn the camera around. Well, this is like a this is just a tapestry in the bedroom, uh, which is it's like a landscape painting of a very dreamy. It's this is like a, it's actually a Hermes silk scarf. Oh yeah, super intricate. Oh yeah, with all that's beautiful with, like, with the whole with all the old scenery and, yeah, right. and the landscape and the old music and the old, you know, all that, all that stuff. And it's just, mm-hmm. I just love this kind of thing.
1: You must miss being uh, in China.
0: I, I, I do. Well, you know, there's my old baseball cards from 1984, but that's just, that's not Chinese, but there's my Don and only rookie. There is. <laughs> some of those are probably worth some money. Uh, yeah, they're all right. But then we got, uh, this is like a modern Chinese sculpt, sculptor of, this is like one of the soldiers from the 1960s. Um, that they crafted with uh, ballerina shoes, so it's like oh, kind yeah, of a combination. Yeah, uh, this is signed by the uh, by the artist. Actually, bought this in Singapore. It's made of it's made of bronze, but painted in a very Chinese red. Right. And this oh, is it like totally. From is. Mao's old red army. That's kind of it's become a little bit of an artistic form of expression, taking some of these old Mao communist things and turning them into these mixtures of of art. Um, then over. Over here is kind of, I guess, the piece to resist on. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm uh, talking about. His name is Fritz. Uh, That's our dog. Uh, He's very easy. He doesn't really, you know, pee or poop in the house very much. Uh, He's he's 2,000 years old. Wow. Um, He's from uh, Sichuan province. He was dug up maybe about 60 years ago when they were building some highways in China. Um, You know, literally, it's a Han Dynasty 2,000-year-old dog that was buried with... Like someone that was probably the governor of that of that little province or something back in the day uh and then we have um this is a calligraphy here. this is about four hundred years old. It's a poem it's a poem about nature Yeah. It's, uh, uh it's written in old classical Chinese beautiful
1: it's, pieces, it's,
0: yeah, it's about ten about ten feet ten foot tall uh and and it's written in a particular style that I really like. Um, a couple of bonsai trees there. Those yeah, I noticed Chinese that too. <laughs> really brings you back, uh, huh? <laughs> it does. This is a modern Chinese painter called Liu Yan. He he does paintings from his childhood. A lot of children inspired paintings. this is like a little bit of a Chinese chorus. Uh it's got a bit of a Chinese Chinese furniture. That's theme a beautiful piece. Green. Yeah. Yeah, it has the traditional Chinese little you know uh-huh. doors uh, sure. doors on it. You can watch Rachel Maddow if you want, and then <laughs> uh, we got the. Uh, this is like a 700-year-old uh, vase that has a landscape painting on it. You can see the inscriptions. This is from the Yuan Dynasty when Genghis Khan used to be. used to rule China, basically. Uh, it's an old flower vase, um, and this. This is like a. Uh, this is a garden seat. Uh, it's weighs a good thirty or forty pounds. This is about also about about five hundred years old as well. You can actually sit on it. It's really solid, really durable. And it's the same turquoise color as uh as that guy over there and uh, some mahjong tiles that are like these are old mahjong tiles from the fifties. They're kind of fun to fun to play with. Uh, so yeah, quite a few. Nice.
1: Well, I'm glad you shared yeah. that with us. You know, you've sort of given us a, a crash course in Chinese art history.
0: A little bit. A little, a little bit. I've learned a little bit over the well, over the years. Got some friends that work in Chinese Chinese art collectibles. Um, yeah. You know. So. Uh, yeah, it's part of part of my little world here. I've moved back to New York. I still get to do a lot of China and Asia related things. You know, New York's great for that. You know, if I'm a member of the China Institute, National Committee on U.S. China Relations, uh, Asia Society, uh, that kind of stuff. So I get to still be very involved in the, the you know, cross cultural stuff. You know, I'd like to say Mr. Bing's not just a um, not just a restaurant, but we're kind of like a U.S. China cultural bridge. I see that. You know, so we, you know, we uh, we like to teach our staff a little bit of Mandarin when we can, or offer offer free Mandarin lessons if they have time to take the class. And um,
1: that's a marketing you hook, know, uh, <laughs> right? That's a hook. Yeah, you can use is. that.
0: Try to recruit, you know, recruiting staff. Good staff is hard. You always yes. you got to try to differentiate your company. You know, why why come work for Mr. Bing instead of uh, Chipotle, right? You know what what what's the difference, right? You know, <laughs> things like that. Right?
1: Killer. <laughs> well, I super appreciate you joining us today on the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. That was Mr. Brian Goldberg from Mr. Bing. I will share all of the contact information in the show notes. Thanks for joining us, and thank you again, Brian. Thanks, Roger.